0: It is Thursday the 16th of January and this is the Monocle Minute. Today a surprise resignation of the Russian government right after President Putin announces a radical constitutional shakeup. базы для российского общества. Plus why you should sometimes take media's coverage of outrage with a pinch of salt and how Japan's young environment minister is setting an example by taking time off to look after his child. I am Markus Hippi in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. Russia's government and its Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev have submitted their resignation to President Vladimir Putin. This followed President Putin's announcement he is proposing constitutional changes, which would see future presidents restricted to two terms in office. Stephen Diel is a Russia analyst and a regular guest here at Monocle Studios. Stephen, what do you make of this? Was the resignation of the Russian government a surprise move, or were yesterday's events carefully planned beforehand?
1: I'm sure there was some planning beforehand, but apparently some members of the government said they were taken by surprise. But I cannot believe that President Putin and the outgoing Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev didn't talk about this beforehand. The announcement of the resignation came three hours after Putin's State of the Union address. But I don't think it was just in that three hours that Medvedev thought things over and decided to step down. I think Putin knew what was going to happen.
0: Why was it necessary for the government to resign?
1: Well, we're still in the realm of guesswork, as with a lot of things. With with uh, with Russia, it seems that, and this is certainly my reading, is that by doing this, Putin is saying, in twenty twenty four, and this is all about twenty twenty four when his presidential term runs out. So he's looking ahead. It seems that he's saying, we're not going to do what we did in two thousand and eight. And 2008, Putin came to the end of his second term as president. And under the current Russian constitution, a president can serve for two terms consecutively, and then there's got to be a break. But of course, Putin came back in 2012. So he stepped down, he became prime minister, and Dmitry Medvedev became president for four years. And then after four years, they swapped over again. So it seems to suggest that that's not going to happen in 2024, that he's looking for someone else who's going to, take over the presidency. But there's a a lot of questions still to be answered about the 2024 issue.
0: So what kind of constitutional changes is President Putin proposing?
1: Well, that's, that, that's one. He's, he's also proposing that there should be a referendum on, um, on social issues and on the changes to the constitution. It effectively means that they would have to produce another constitution. So a date that is being bandied around is, is possibly September for that. So they will have people now sitting down and trying to draw up I would say, a new constitution. There is some doubt as to whether this new constitution will guarantee human rights, which the present one does in theory. In practice, it doesn't always work. So there's a number of these changes, but the really crucial issue is what's going to happen with the presidency and the the relation of the prime minister. Also, he's given Medvedev the position of deputy head of the Russian Security Council, which has been in existence since Yeltsin's time. And that's like a sort of inner cabinet that the president uses. That sounds like a demotion. So that really sounds like he's pushing Medvedev out of the running for for president. Um, And also he's talking about creating a new state body, the State Council, Um, these terms are all going to get um, rather
0: confusing until we get used to them. So, Stephen, you're saying this is all about 2024. That's when President Putin's fourth term ends. What is Vladimir Putin's grand plan? What has he planned for the future of Russia? I don't
1: think he has one yet, but I think this is a step towards it. And I would actually draw the roots of this back probably to 2017. 2017 was very significant because it was the centenary of the Bolshevik revolution that brought the Soviet Union into being. And it was probably marked more in Western countries, for example, in London, there were various exhibitions marking it, than it was in Russia itself. Because I think it dawned on President Putin at that time that in 1917, what happened? There was an elite that was completely out of touch with the population that got swept away by the Bolsheviks. And at that time, Russia was already beginning to suffer because of sanctions or had been suffering for a couple of years because of sanctions imposed after the invasion of Ukraine and the seizure of Crimea in 2014. So living standards were already falling. People were getting more disgruntled. Taxes were going up. And that, I think, had, for Putin, a kind of echoes of, of 1917. a 100 years, old, look what happened then. And that's why I think they didn't celebrate it greatly then. But I think that definitely got Putin thinking, you know, where do we go from here? And, of course, what we saw in 2019 were some very significant demonstrations across the country. They introduced, for example, a very unpopular raising of the pension age, which um, people saying, well, hang on, the people at the top are getting richer and richer, and and why are the pensioners getting poorer and poorer? He did address, in yesterday's State of the Nation address, he addressed quite strongly the social problems. So it shows he's aware of that. But I think we go back to 2017,
0: and he's been thinking about this ever since then. Stephen Deal, thank you very much for joining us. Let's then continue with a view from Monocle's editorial floor, this time about why you should sometimes take media's coverage of outrage with a pinch of salt. On
2: Monday night, US actor Vince Vaughn was spotted shaking Donald Trump's hand at a college football game. These are two of the ensuing headlines. From The Guardian, uproar after Vince Vaughn shakes Trump's hand at football game. And from Vox Media, Fox News goes to desperate lengths to try to gin up outrage over a clip of Vince Vaughn chatting with Trump. This is the perfect example of why you should be outraged over the media's coverage of outrage. Firstly, many journalists are over-reliant on Twitter. Type in Vince Vaughn and Trump, and of course you're liable to find someone somewhere tweeting their outrage over the encounter. Frankly, it's lazy reporting. Second, some outlets have become obsessed with writing about backlash, uproar, outrage, feuds. Another such Guardian headline yesterday morning. Stephen King faces backlash over comments on Oscars diversity. I don't mean to suggest we should never be outraged, but as journalists we need a higher standard. It's easy to write a knee-jerk reaction story about uproar. It's far harder to explain why take Stephen King who wrote of the Oscars that he would never consider diversity when it comes to matters of art. He might be wrong but isn't it worth hearing what he actually means by that? It would be better to read an article about why he's wrong or right than whether there was a backlash
0: or not. Then, elsewhere on today's agenda. In Japan, workers are entitled to up to one year of paternity leave, but men rarely take advantage of it. Yesterday, the country's 38-year-old environment minister Shinjiro Koizumi decided to set an example. He will be taking two weeks off to look after his first child, whose birth is expected later this month. For Koizumi, who was appointed to his post last September and is often talked about as future prime minister, it's a bold political gesture and a much-needed boost to government efforts to encourage a younger generation of public servants and office workers to strike a balance between time spent at work and home. Rio de Janeiro's famed carnival celebrations begin this week and will last for longer than usual this year after City Hall decided to extend the event to 50 days. Last year there were 23 days of revelry. Though described by some as a cynical marketing ploy to attract tourists, the decision has been motivated by a desire for Rio to keep its crew following the resurgence of carnival block parties in other Brazilian cities. And finally... 500 helicopters, that's what is said to rain down on Davos as 2,500 delegates flood into this Swiss skiing resort for the 50th anniversary gathering of the World Economic Forum next week. In our fourth and final winter weekly of the year on sale today, we look at the logistical complexities of hosting such a massive event in the mountains and interview past participants for advice on how to blend into the crowd. Read more about today's stories by subscribing to our daily email bulletin at our website. I am Markus Hippi. The Monocle Minute returns on Friday.